Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I am back in good old USA. Um, it was a very fruitful pilgrimage. Uh, but I'll tell you, the culture of this is so different that I'm always happy to come home. Always happy to come home. Um, it's If you ever have the wherewithal and the means to get over to the Holy Land, I would urge you to go. Because it's good to understand and visit these places where Jesus walked and uh, redeemed mankind. Um, but you must remember also that we have access to him now in a completely profound way through the Holy Eucharist, which is Jesus incarnate. And so as much as it's important to walk these uh, steps of Jesus through these sacred places that he lived and where Mary lived and where Joachim and Anne lived and um, the apostles and the upper room and all these wonderful places, you'll never be more close to Jesus than when you receive him in the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, which is better, going to visit the place where Jesus walked 2,000 years ago or receiving that same Jesus right into your very body, soul, and spirit in your body? Well, clearly it's the latter. Uh, so first, get your relationship with God in order. This is more important than visiting the Holy Land or any other place on the planet. Uh, but then, if you ever get the uh, wherewithal, the means, and the time to do this, you should go do it. And you should you should exercise before you go, because it is a lot of walking. This is, of course, what the apostles did. They walked everywhere. And uh, I would venture that they probably logged maybe between eight, uh, 8 and 10 miles a day with all the walking between these holy places. Um, and quite beautiful. Uh, my favorite, I would have to say, is the Sea of Galilee. It's just spectacular. Um, and also Herod's uh, Palace on the Mediterranean. Very beautiful. Of course, uh, very hot. You know, when you get in, into these desert places, um, the heat soars. In fact, the day we were going to go, that we did go to the... Um, the Dead Sea, we were lucky. It was only in the 90s because a few days earlier it had been about 110. Uh, so the, the heat is oppressive. And remarkably, somehow the plants flourish over there. It's That truly is a miracle that uh, the plants and the flowers are, are uh, blooming and, and beautiful. In fact, absolutely stunning. So overall, wonderful trip. The pilgrims were Im Im incredibly kind and generous. The five of the priests I was with were amazing, humble uh, men of God who really uh, just loved the Lord and wanted to serve him and his people. So 
that's always such a great blessing for me as a priest is to meet other very uh, wonderful priests that um, I'm hoping we will be, be long-time friends, although probably won't get to see each other very often, but pray for each other. So very good experience. 206 Tours does a remarkable job of taking care of the pilgrims. The planning was beyond uh, expert. Um, you get off the bus and your bags miraculously show up in your hotel room. Uh, there was not a hiccup once through the, the nine days we were there. So you don't have to carry your bags around. You know, For someone who's older, I didn't have, have a problem lugging my luggage, but I was thinking, my goodness, if my parents were doing this, this would be a very big problem. Because taking huge bags up steps and up these cobble, every the roads are all cobblestone. It's very difficult to walk and carry a bag or drag a bag on cobblestone. Uh, so we had guides and uh, people that did that the whole entirety of the pilgrimage. And the hotels were stunning. Um, and the food was very good. It was it was a wonderful, 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 well-thought-through, well-planned pilgrimage. And in fact, all these little perks along the way. So in Cana, there were about 70 couples who renewed their, their marriage vows um, in the church, Catholic Church in Cana, uh, built over the spot where they believe the, the wedding took place that Jesus went to with Mary and his friends, the apostles. Um and they provided roses for all the women, uh, the mothers, on Mother's Day. So all these little things they thought of ahead of time. Uh, very, very uh, amazing and wonderful um, pilgrimage. Thank you to 206. They do a wonderful job. Okay, so we're in our Mariathon. Our Mariathon. Uh, this is our global Mariathon. I'm having trouble with my computer. I hope it's not affecting the transmission. Um, and this is the one that we do every year where we, uh, the whole world is, uh, participating in this Mariathon. Uh, once a year we do this. So this is the, the time for that. And, um, I must say that, uh, today on this particular day, we are, um, looking to increase our monthly donors. We're looking to increase our monthly donors. People that will pledge to give a certain amount every month. And so uh, if you can give, let's say, I'm going to put it at $50 a month for a year. Uh, I have 10 rosary beads from Bethlehem, from the Holy Land, from the site where... Uh, where Jesus was born. Uh, I just came back uh, yesterday. I landed at about, I don't know, 12 noon from the Holy Land. And I have these 10 rosaries made of olive wood. Uh, they've been blessed by me. And we have 10 for the first 10 people that can pledge $50 a month for one year. Uh, and the phones are open right now, 888 yeah, so that's that's that. So you may not know this, but Radio Maria is fairly young. She's a young radio station, uh, born in 1983 in the Diocese of Milan in Italy by Emmanuel Ferrario. And he was inspired by the message of Medjugorje and by Pope John Paul II, now a saint, uh, the call for evangelization. And so he set up this uh, one-tower station, small, 
in this little place in Milan, Italy, uh, with the purpose of keeping parishioners informed about what was going on in the parish and to lead them with prayer, the daily mass, and the rosary through this radio uh, station. And it became very popular and expanded and expanded and expanded. I think, I believe in Italy alone, they have something like six or 700 uh, towers or transmitters across the whole country. And you know, Italy is fairly small compared to America. So really took off there. And in 1998, five years later, uh, the world family of Radio Maria was legally established as a not-for-profit association. And this group helps to spread Radio Maria, and it takes care of sort of the organization and the exchange of expertise for all the activities and ways we promote and develop uh, this entity around the world. And it is a big, it's a big deal to get all these towers up and running and keeping them running. So we have this, uh, this umbrella of world family of Radio Maria. And the purpose hasn't changed much. It's still to evangelize the world. That's the goal. Radio Maria is trying to evangelize the whole world uh, and uh, bring the gospel message to everybody, everywhere. It's quite simple, really. And we do it under the patronage of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. Uh, this is her radio network. This is her mission. It's the same mission Jesus entrusted to his apostles. Uh, she also is very active in this mission. And so we do this out of love for her and her son, Jesus. That's the whole um, reason Radio Maria came into existence. It's the same reason it exists today. Out of love for Our Lady and her son, Jesus, and to propagate the message of Jesus Christ to the whole world. So if you're listening, if Radio Maria has changed your life, if Radio Maria has sparked some hope in a bleak and dreary time in the history of humanity, please give a ring to 888-408-0201. There's 10 rosaries that I brought back myself from the Holy Land from Bethlehem, where they were made. And uh, if you can pledge $50 a month for 12 months, we're happy to um, give that as a gift to you. So, what, uh, what can I tell you? It's very interesting. If you went to Mass today, Jesus is continuing this very lengthy discourse, this teaching he's giving to his apostles, and it's the Last Supper. You may not get that if you're just coming to Mass um, and, you know, the, the Gospel opens up and it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And we listen and we, we think, well, those are very beautiful words. And, uh, you know, we get it. But do you realize he's saying this at the Last Supper? He's giving instructions uh, to his first priest. This is their ordination. The Last Supper is the ordination of the apostles, where they will be given power, particular power, to uh, perform the sacraments, to change um, bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ himself, to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins up to this point. Now God is extending this great mercy to his priests that Jesus is ordaining at the Last Supper. So he's giving this instruction. When this chapter 17 of John ends, and mind you, it's 17, 16, 15, and 14, four chapters of John's Gospels devoted to this one discourse at the Last Supper. 
where he's teaching his men about his mission and imparting that mission to them. This chapter ends. Chapter 18 opens with Jesus saying, with the scripture saying he, and then he left supper, it's the last supper, and he head across the Kidron Valley to the garden, the Garden of Olives. It'd be the garden where he sweats blood in anticipation of his passion. Uh, now, it's it does make quite a difference when you've been to this valley, when you've walked into this Garden of Olive trees. Some of the trees have been there 2,000 years. That means when he went over to the valley, across the valley to the Garden of Olives, uh, some of those trees would have been there when he was praying there. That's pretty amazing, you know, to have a tree that could last 2,000 years. The trunks are immense. You know, we're talking three, four foot width trunks on these olive trees. They're tremendously huge. And uh, that's what kind of puts it all together for you when you go to the Holy Land. It ties these things together in your mind. You can now see, you remember, I know where the upper room was. I know how long it took to get to the edge of the Kidron Valley. I know how steep that valley is. I know that they walked down the valley into the bottom, which is where that Garden of Gethsemane is. And I know exactly where those olive trees are located now. And from there, he would be dragged off to uh, endure the questionings of Pilate and Herod. And we know exactly where those places are. That's kind of the benefit of going to the Holy Land. You can All these scriptures we read suddenly can come to life. You can imagine very clearly because you've been there. And in many places in the Holy Land, uh, they haven't changed much. You know, when you go down and look at uh, uh, the Pilate's Palace on the Mediterranean, the aqueducts that brought water to that region, because if you don't have water, you can't have a city. It's that simple. You can't drink the Mediterranean because it's salty. So they had to bring water. And the way they did it was they built these stone aqueducts that would draw this water sometimes 10, 20 miles away down into these cities that they built surrounded by um, around the palace uh, in order that they would have a thriving community. But the first thing they would have to know is, can we get water here? Because if there's no water, there's not going to be anybody surviving. And so that's what they did. And the aqueducts are still there. And those are original. So those stone... Uh, Edifices are, are the ones that would have been there uh, all the way back centuries and centuries ago when Pilate had his palace on the ocean. That's kind of the cool part. That's the cool part. When you can see things that were there, uh, most of what you see has been built upon the site that was there. So it's not the actual building. Like the upper room is not the actual upper room where they had the Last Supper, but it's over the spot where that existed. Uh, because, you know, remember, many of these sites were buried in, in dirt, sometimes 20 feet high, and it was only through excavation that they came to discover them. How did they find out that these were the places? Because the Christians marked them. They marked them with Christian symbols so we would know uh, where these holy places were. And, of course, in many cases, uh, as things deteriorated, they were rebuilt. And so there was a continuity of rebuilding and and restoring throughout history not always but sometimes so jesus uh in this gospel today he's talking about his glory and what is he talking about well he's talking about the glory of the cross the glory of the cross now we don't typically look at the cross as something that we 
would call glory in our own life. When you get hit with a cross or you are handed a cross, very rarely do we say thank you for this glorious cross on which Christ will be uh, revealed and redemptive power will flow out into the world. And yet that's really what happens. If you are a Christian, a baptized Christian, you are part of the body of Christ and in that mystical body, the head rules. Jesus is the head, we're the body. So we have access to the same power of the one who hung on the original cross. And what happened on that original cross? Heaven was opened, grace flooded the planet, the world was transformed, souls are saved, redemption occurred, and uh, new life flooded the earth. When we pick up our crosses and unite them to Jesus's cross, the same effects happen in a smaller way. It would not be with the same power as Jesus and his uh, cross, but in in a in a smaller way, the same effects occur. Heaven is opened, souls are saved, uh, the glory of God rushes upon the planet, and and perhaps it'll only be one soul saved. Perhaps one child will be spared an abortion. Perhaps one soul will be dragged back from the cliff of hell. But one one is very important in the eyes of God, just one person, he would have died for one person alone. Uh, if there was only one person to be saved, he would have done it anyway. So that's not important. What's important is that we uh, pick up our crosses and follow him and and imitate what he did for us. And what he did for us is, it's a remarkable thing. Sometimes we lose sight of this. Because if you go to church, um, every week and are faithful to your Sunday obligation, and even those who go daily, you know, you daily communicants, it is possible that we get into a routine and forget what we're actually doing, right? This can happen. But we must remember that uh, what is happening is we're making present the one true sacrifice that Jesus offered to his Father for us. And it had to be uh, a sacrifice that was both divine and human. Why? Why? Because only a divine person can forgive sin and offer something to the Father that would be pleasing. You know, it would have, it would have to be a divine person. Uh, but it also had to be flesh and blood. It had to be flesh and blood. So he had to take our flesh and blood, and that had to be nailed to the cross. And in doing so, he took all of humanity with himself, and that was also nailed to the cross. And our sins were forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean everybody gets into heaven. There is work to be done in each life of every person. We, too, must, uh, so to speak, nail our sins to his cross. And how do we do that? We die to ourselves and are reborn through baptism. But then uh, that alone doesn't make, sh make you a saved person unless you were to die immediately following that baptism. So what we have to do is we have to um, obey what Jesus taught us to do, beginning with the commandments. I know Jesus didn't give us the commandments, but in a way he did. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, so the word was with God, the word is God. And so technically, yes, he did. He wasn't in the person of Jesus Christ at the time. He was the word who was um, dwelling with the Father in heaven when the commandments were given. But there, this is, if you love somebody, 
you obey them, you listen to them, you follow their teaching. So if we truly love God, we will obey his commandments. Remember, the commandments are not given to us to make life difficult. They're not given to us to make life a burden. God isn't trying to uh, make your life miserable. He's giving you a pathway to heaven. He's giving you a pathway to heaven. And the pathway to heaven is his son, Jesus. So whatever Jesus tells us to do, we have to do it. Now, in a perfect world, you're doing it out of love for God. But if that love um, is uh, waning or in some way uh, you're going through a dark time and you don't feel the love in you, it's even a greater sacrifice to do these things when you don't feel the warm and fuzzy feelings. This is the life of Mother Teresa. Do you know she had this uh, great experience of God, a supernatural experience of God in the beginning of her call to religious life, and then dormant for 50 years, no consolation. Yet she did everything out of love for God, even when she didn't feel the love from God. Well, this makes her a tremendous saint, a powerhouse of a woman, because it's much easier to serve God when we feel the overwhelming consolation and love of God. This is what happens on pilgrimages. This is what happens on retreats. There's a mountaintop experience where you're so flooded with God's love that you say things like, I would do anything to, for you, my Lord. Anything you want, I will give you. And that's the point of the whole thing, that we would open our heart to receive more of his love so that we can give everything over to him. Uh, and that's the beginning of becoming a saint. Much more difficult when we don't have those uh, consolations and those feelings of being embraced by God. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, that experience of God, the Father's love, started to diminish as he took all of our sins upon himself. It didn't mean that the Father was any less close to him. I'm, t I'm only speaking of the feeling. The feeling of the Father's consolation was was waning, it was diminishing as our sins were being absorbed into him. And yet that's the very moment he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So first he says, forgive us, and then he gives his father an excuse why, for they know not what they're doing. If they knew who I was, certainly they wouldn't do this to me. Well, now we have the fullness of the teaching, 2,000 years later, and still people are crucifying Jesus. And now, I, I think that excuse, they know not what they do, perhaps it still is valid for some, because it, wait, it, the logic holds. If they truly knew Jesus was God, would they do so much to uh, abuse him, to twist his words, to try to change his teachings, to outright blaspheme him? I would, I would have to think, no. The only one that does that is Satan, I would think. But maybe Satan is alive and well in many people in this world, and maybe that's why they behave in such a way. Some of the apostles spoke like that, you know. Paul is one of them. I think James is another. That the, uh, the father of these uh, disobedient ones is Lucifer. That's scriptural. I'm not making this up. So we have to pray for these people that before the end of their life, they would come to the fullness of the truth and give themselves completely to God, 
their heart, their soul, their mind, and their bodies. That all would be for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk more about this as the week goes on. Um, I've got those 10 rosaries. I don't know if anybody's called in, but they are from, I just got landed yesterday from Tel Aviv, uh, which uh, was a, about nine days I spent in the Holy Land. And these rosaries were bought in Bethlehem, where we try to support the Christian community there who are uh, greatly in need of our support. So the number to call is 888-408-0201. 888-408-0201. And I hope you will support Radio Maria. This is the mission of Our Lady. It's her uh, radio network. And we are just her servants who try to serve well and get the message of God out to his people. It's a good message. It's the only message that matters. Think about that. It's the only message that matters is the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is just words filling filling up the airways. It's his word that matters because his word holds eternal life. It's a, a pleasure to be back with you. God bless you all. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Tell your friends to tune in. Let's help spread this message around the whole world. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing out. Thank you, Father Dan. Uh, I, I do know money is coming in, but I'm not exactly sure how much Kevin is uh, keeping track. Oh, you can hear